Welcome to episode 23 of Two Please. I'm your host Abhin and I'm your co-host Rohit. Now, this has probably been one of the more interesting uh disc- like we've discussions we've ever had when it's come to deciding what an episode should be on because it is the holiday season after all. And uh, I've been wanting to discuss the Chris Columbus Harry Potter films for a while, especially uh because they seem to exist in a weird universe of their own when you compare them to the other um six that ex- that exist in the franchise and um like like i've been saying because mm. this mo- this episode will pretty much drop on christmas day on and around mm-hmm. uh when when abin gave me this idea i was like um, hey i mean doesn't chris columbus pretty much own christmas at this point i mean it, it chris chris is there in the name yeah, yeah. so <laughs> I think it was like a uh, what's the term nominative determinism I think when Chris Columbus was born he's like you will make christmas movies <laughs> so uh, my mind went there and uh, uh-huh. so I was thinking I mean why not uh, cover his filmography at large but then we decided I mean it's our podcast who's yeah. going to stop us from doing a bit of both so so today's episode we're going to do like a harry potter first look into so the, the topic that I've been said and then at some point in the episode we're just going to slightly pivot to Chris Columbus and his other movies which inevitably always feature a christmas montage it's christmas it's christmas eve it's a holiday i hope you guys are chilling somewhere having a drink eating a lot of food um just spending time with people you love and who and i assume they they are being irritating at this point which is why you listen to the podcast on christmas day mm-hmm. we are we are more than happy to help uh, <laughs> what do you call uh, cover that that little space in space in your day i suppose okay enough of my rambling let's start the show i am big it's the pictures that got small so uh we've discussed in i think we've discussed the first part of film in um in an in an older episode i think it's in it's in the feel good movies if i am not yes. mistaken it is one of yes. my go to feel good movies of all time and in that episode i have mentioned that my love uh, for harry potter has not been a secret especially amongst to those who i've grown up uh, grown up around and that still holds true so like i said in that episode i revisited all the potter films last year or like earlier this year and i hadn't seen them in a while i hadn't seen them in a good seven odd years and i had and never seen them at a stretch because obviously we we grew up with these with these films in a way we kind of grew up with the character now i think yeah. the first book came out in 97 then um then the second came out in 98 and the third in 99 So by the time uh, Sorcerer's Stone rolled into theaters in in September I think it's it was Christmas 2001 or around in November 2001 there was already an a direction as to where the series was going and I think this is a moment where we can take to talk about just how good JK Rowling was at the top of uh, with with those with those first four books because there have been a lot of people who've complained about a certain drop off when it comes to book 5 6 and 7 Seven, I think, is is the ultimate. Um, in in terms of finishing a series, a series so beloved, 
especially in uh, that uh, it's 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 an, it's a property that people are fiercely protective of yeah and um which everyone I, I, has their own opinions of yeah you exactly everyone. yeah obviously and this was very much i'd say nascent internet like facebook still had yeah. um uh, what do you call fight, you know those weird fighter club things which was hugely popular back in uh, back in 07 <laughs> it very much like uh, awkward it was the awkward of times is how i'd say but the time the seventh uh, seventh book rolled out and i think it was largely uh, well received i don't think a lot of people had complaints with how it finished i don't think so either me apart from maybe the I mean, do we are there spoilers? Like, oh yeah. By the way, we're discussing Harry Potter. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah. Uh, is there anyone who? Uh, I don't know. Like, can I talk about the character assassination of Dumbledore in the seventh book? That probably is the only mm-hmm. thing that I would not have wanted in the book. But other than that, it it ticked all the boxes. And by the end of the series, um, you are at a stage where, <laughs> especially a series as big as this. Like I said, people have read it. People have their own opinions. I'm sure Rowling had also needed to be a little cognizant of. I I have to balance things here. Yes, yeah. Go too much in one direction. I'm sure she had a vision in her mind, and you know, as much as she would, she might have said in the public that I've only given, I've, I've realized my vision. Practically, I'm sure she would have made a few changes, saying, "Okay, this is how I." With the movies having come out and seeing people's reaction to it in a different mm-hmm. medium. Uh, should have made some changes you can see that sort of i wouldn't say compromise that sort mm-hmm. of balance in the last in the last movie but uh, in the last book but other than that yeah i think the series ended well but yes i get where um, the drop off comes especially in 5 and 6 i mean i get mm-hmm. why you're saying that mm-hmm. my interpretation of why that would have happened is also as the series progresses that whole magic the the magic of it reduces mm-hmm. and it becomes the series as it progresses in my view becomes more um a realization of growing old growing yeah, older basically yeah very much and i think it yeah it it does that it captures that essence where you are because um things i'd say up to book 3 maybe halfway through book 3 thing it presents very much in an ideal world where you have Uh, fantastical elements that are causing you know conflicts in and around so the first the first book is there is a, a notorious figure running around um that people speak of and who's responsible for the fate harry suffered uh, then in the second book that figure again makes a comeback even though not in his entire full form the third he's barely the third he's not around at all uh, yeah. and only in the fourth with and the fourth is in my opinion a, a great bait and switch because he's around for the uh, there are two great chapters in there and one of them en- ends up being uh, i think it was used as a title for a do- for a doctor who episode starring david tennant which is uh, the parting of the ways so the fourth book i've always mentioned is like it opens up very much like a horror uh, like a yeah. horror story yeah. uh, in uh, in the house with with frank the caretaker and then it just proceeds to go into a, a full-fledged uh, a fantasy novel stops in the middle again the horror elements are reintroduced and then again goes back into a full fledged fantasy novel but there's enough clues to sprinkle around in the story to be like something here is about to happen so by the time you get to the third task chapter and you get to the last page of the third task chapter which uh, is then followed by 
blood and bones flesh blood and bone i think is the name of yeah. the chapter yeah. yeah and so from flesh blood and bone the the series takes a, a takes a turn and never looks back so as soon as they get hand get their hands on the triwizard cup the series takes like the role is like fine we are leaving the quidditch aspect the uh yeah. the, the transfiguration classes the the lore of of, of the school and we are now taking it this, this into a direction where shit just got hit, real yeah shit just got real you are hit with uh the realities of adolescence or or like or you're soon approaching uh adulthood so like you know yeah. what especially for a character that is considered to be um, a high risk uh, character in the, in the series when the fifth book came out i remember being like oh this is first folly lot and also wow certain choices in this story are uh, have has not really left me very uh, happy and i think this is most to do with mostly to do with the character death because for us growing at growing up at the time one particular character who dies in the fifth book is was someone we would go and really fond of in spite of yeah. like them having little to no presence in i mean little presence in in books 3 and 4 and yeah and then we as things escalated and i remember half blood prince not getting really a lot of uh, good reviews because it felt very half baked and i for no fault of its own because half blood prince basically sets the chessboard and uh, it's the curse of the penultimate pen- penultimate, penultimate movie yeah, penultimate yeah. novel yeah and then deathly hallows basically takes off from there and there are very integral part, but yeah that's a, that's i i don't want to jump into a a a half blood prince discussion because in terms of adapting a novel to a book i think it's possibly the worst adaptation um i was i'd have given that award to prisoner of azkaban a few years ago but i i am really fond of that movie now um it it ignores a lot of plot elements that's an uh, that's a topic for an, for another day just open your door there might be qr on fanboys outside waiting yeah. <laughs> <laughs> machete <laughs> why <sighs> but uh, no I, i get what you're saying uh, mm-hmm. also speaking of bad choices uh, i just realized harry potter has had like harry the character has had a very listless fuck all love life like but mm-hmm. he's just there's cho cho and then there's genius like okay i guess yeah if if anything were to have okay cool like it is convenient i guess the, the one thing the one criticism that i can throw at harry potter is possibly the naming of cho chang uh which <laughs> it, it sounds extremely when racist. you said choices i was like did you say choices <laughs> oh god no no right no right <laughs> Uh, okay you were saying so. but okay enough so enough of us shitting on the latter section of uh, half of yeah, let's, uh, let's of talk the about the optimistic the, the, the optimistic magical. the magical the the warm blanket of uh, of the harry potter films which is i'd say largely sorcerer's stone and to an extent chamber of secrets so um as much as jk rowling has turned into this weird person that nobody is is happy with um at the time she made a and this is around the 90s when they were casting for the film so she said i don't care what um anything you guys do in terms of creative choices the entire cast has to be english and that was the directive that came straight from jk rowling which is why they start i think they were at, at the time banding about the idea that they, they cast two character i think uh, 
at the time they had they were considering Macaulay Culkin who had just come off Richie Rich and was obviously Macaulay mm-hmm. Culkin and there was the other kid from a series of unfortunate events uh, but he, but he was american and he made it to the last two and but because he was american they decided not to uh, follow up uh, i mean not take him in and poor kid but still british cast very american director now uh, is, is kingsley shacklebolt supposed to be british doesn't he have like a i don't know why i always envisioned him with a jamaican accent in my head yeah i never until i saw him with uh, i saw him in the films i didn't realize like how thick of a jamaican accent he had and yeah the yeah. films do do tend to get a lot more um, um what do you call less white diverse. yeah <laughs> or diverse as the series progresses but and we mentioned this on on the feel good episode as well in terms of casting is perfect casting you yeah. could not have cast a series better uh, my roommates and i were sitting and watching a uh, sorcerer stone a few weeks ago and it's it is been the film that we grew up with right it's a movie that we can all quote because we've seen it so many times and the sorcerer stone itself is actually a very nice book if you ever had to start a series uh, yeah. well take notes on the sorcerer stone because it introduces a character introduces the conflict that he's in it very much like an oliver twistish kind of beginning to um, um the situation he finds himself in in comes a character tells him oh, you are a lot more than what you are uh, than what <laughs> what you've been told me, unfortunately yeah which is yeah you were a wizard <laughs> and uh, then proceeds to discover this world um which has I been establishes the world really well yeah yeah so such and and book 2 expands on it expands on the lore very yeah, well as well yeah. book 1 does lays the groundwork and introduces us to characters who are all likable some with with spell if you grew up in the subcontinent and i assume just in parts of asia um you would have had difficulty with hermione's name for many a year till at least the movies came out so yeah yeah we called her hermione which uh, <laughs> victor victor crumb refers to in in book 4 as well yeah. it's turned into like a harry potter episode but okay i'm going to like try and keep this uh, let's let's stay on track as much as we possibly can so chris columbus comes in um movie gets cast little to, at that point i didn't even know they were making a harry potter movie this was i was like 10 years old i didn't really have access to internet one fine day my dad's like oh there's a new harry potter film come out on in the vcd stores and this was the time where you know movies would come to india a lot later than they would hmm. in uh vcd um, oh my VCD, god i have yeah. heard that you know mm. would have vcds and they, they were all cam prints and just usual and i remember watching it and being absolutely blown away by it uh and then it did get its theatrical release in india and like i was in that in in that theater nine times So I think it was a crazy year for like uh, for high fantasy anyway because Lord of the Rings was in 2001 Sorcerer's Stone was also in 2001 Also going back to our episode of a few weeks ago we spoke about how Amir Khan had Lagan and Dil Chahta Hai in 2001 it's like a, an Anas Miribalis for cinema basically milestone films yeah Rohit is trying to be bougie <laughs> <laughs> but okay so this so okay what was your experience with the sorcerer stone anyway like what is when did you watch it how did you catch it yeah yeah same i think one of those um vcds damn i'm just yeah. feeling weird saying that 
those VCDs which used to have three four movies in them, mm-hmm. which used to get by the side of the road in Dubai. <laughs> to like, I don't think Dubai of today would allow that. Of course, Dubai of today has too much of an image to uphold. But back mm. when. This was the wild, wild west days of Dubai. Two thousand, two thousand one, when I was there as a kid, a nine, ten year old kid. So I remember buying this, and uh, I, as I had mentioned in the feel good episode as well, everyone was talking about it, and I was like, okay, fine, let let's check it out. And I remember putting it in into the computer. Fuck, we had a desktop then. Like, who, mm. unless you're gaming today, who even has a desktop, dude? So, so we had a desktop then, and I'm this gigantic ass monitor. I'm sitting in front of it in my room, and um, the the theme plays in, and like you said, you have this whole mm. uh, Dickensian beginning, um, mm-hmm. setting up Harry to be this tragic figure, and I'm just like, okay, okay, and and the whole. sequence on the island with your wizard harry and then mm-hmm. the first i think when the penny i wouldn't say penny dropped when i was hooked was when they go to diagon alley for the first time yes of like, course yeah huh. Whoa, what's this oh my god i love it already and then mm-hmm. yeah ever since then i've i've just been a fan in in terms of i mean i know i keep jumping back to casting but they go to diagon alley and then they go to olivander's to buy his wand <laughs> and then you have john bloody hurt in a 2 minute yeah. role uh who is is also one one more hook who gets you because so this film was written by Steve Kloves and who wrote most of the Harry Potter films so and i i think there were so if you there were you cannot adapt everything in the potter films like straight from the book but this movie tries this movie really tries and also the first book is smaller it's it's yeah easier. it's a 300 page book i yeah. i don't envy the person who had to adapt 4 5 and 6 you have to make some tough decisions there but the mm. first book is relatively still you know the big the big hitters the big markers that yeah, you have to yeah kind of hit. you you have to take him from part point a to point b points and i remember this being uh, when people who read the book would would come would complain about how certain elements of the uh, uh, of the book were missing right so and we'll we'll get to them as we as we progress through through the film so harry enters diagon alley meets olivander goes to gringotts gets his realizes he's sitting on a mountain of wealth um then you get you foreshadow the nimbus 2000 as it's like lying somewhere in uh, in a shop and then you and then the the run into platform 9 and 3 quarters which where they they disappear through um, through a wall between uh, platform 9 and platform 10 so much so that if you actually walk into kings cross today uh, there is a uh, there, there there's a, a bit of a pop up where there's a wall with a cart um, sealed to it and you can pose with it and that's meant to signify platform uh, you running through the walls through, through platform 9 and 10 very much like i think i i'm not sure how how the books are selling now but every release of, of that book was an event back yeah. in back in the in the noughties like it was built oh like oh this is the year 2004 uh, the new uh, 2003 the new potter book is out this year in fact i would say uh, each of us knew where we were when harry potter book release i remember especially for the last book obviously because there was so much anticipation i fucking remember like sitting at home i remember reading that 
I don't even remember where, like Google or could one of those notifications. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's official now. The last book has come out. Like you said, it was mm-hmm. an event. Each each book release was like, wow. Now, uh, with coming back to the the first film, it is so a lot of franchises tend to just fail at the start. Uh, you have your insurgents, your divergence. I think Twilight was possibly the only one that somehow made continue to make money. through uh with each new release even though the movies got progressively worse actually I wouldn't say progressively worse i'd say the first was was atrocious the second I mean, was yeah it's it's also down to subject matter i i understand no no i think uh, robert pattinson's jawline carries the series kind of in a way so the funny thing is they're both phenomenal actors especially in, if you think about it in the current landscape i think kristen stewart is is on her way to the oscar for for spencer this year and to watch so for mm-hmm. me the jury is still very much out oh, yeah and i find a very flat but anyways mm-hmm. maybe i'll revise my views after mm-hmm. spencer you don't mm-hmm. have to say anything about patents and i think he's speaking of which a quick aside i mm-hmm. watched david mishard's the king day before mm-hmm. yesterday mm-hmm. um timothy chalamet plays henry mm-hmm. the 5th and uh, patentson plays the dauphin of france oh man mm-hmm. he has like a 10 minute 5 minute role fucking kills it i love patentson now Mm-hmm. But yeah, going back to the point you were making about Twilight, I think one of the rare franchises that that actually mm, huffed so and puffed its way through all of the source material. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Percy Jackson, which is another um, series I adored growing up, um, also directed by Chris Columbus, but just didn't receive the the love or the or the budget it it really deserved. The um, only good thing to come out of Percy Jackson has been Alexander Daddario. Yeah, and Logan Lerman. Yeah. I like Logan Lerman. Perks. I mean, we've spoken about Perks of being a wallflower. Yes. Yes. So, but but the first film was as good as um, you know, as well as you could possibly launch a franchise. I say this this because and knowing with the full knowledge that this came out the same year as the Fellowship of the Ring, which in is the perfect. uh way to launch a beloved franchise unlike a star wars which was more like okay here is a movie about space hermits and people were like wow okay this and then that became a series later on uh but there is a lot of enjoyment to be had in the sorcerer stone i guess like the lead the, the, the lead three are very young um their performances aren't exceptional but even then rupert grint was the best of the bunch And in my opinion, is possibly still the best actor. Daniel Radcliffe has the more varied body of work. Rupert Grint yeah. is the talent, and Emma Watson was is good. I think she is kind of a combination of both. Um, the first in, in the first, it's just she is absolutely hilarious and not in a good way um, because she's what ten years old and she's absolutely heaving and hoeing her way through uh, most of uh, most of the most of her scenes. deep breaths enunciating every word rushing them out at some points like you it's, it's very like uh, i remember my mother pointing this out to me and going oh, that girl contact um, <laughs> because it was just is very noticeable but in the way I, i mean the way i interpreted it, it it it's that flush of you are a 10 11 year old kid off to school away from mm-hmm. and she's a Uh, muggle born mm. i don't even yeah. say the term 
it's a fictional racist term and still i'm like i don't want to use it anyway but anyway so she's she's muggle born and therefore maybe she also has an added level of that's how i interpreted it like mm. this is this girl who, whose mind is as she's sort of our window into that world whose mind is as blown with everything she sees like mm-hmm. ours is and therefore maybe that's why she's huffing and being like oh my god mm. Uh, so yeah no, I mean, it's, it's, it's like it's like she has knowledge of yeah. acting like she's her, she has a knowledge like i remember her walking through the great hall and she points out something about how the great hall is is that the, the ceiling of the great the roof of the great hall, great hall is dynamic it changes according to the weather uh how did so uh, now that you tell me now that i we talk we're talking about it, i realize how as a she grew up in a human like muggle world yeah she, is that like a bootleg library for Like so I think so. Were... She said so. I think over the summer she basically uh, spent it reading all about Hogwarts oh, and yeah. So she's like the wizarding uh, world's uh, uh, what do you call quiz person. Remember if like if there was yeah. like a quiz team in the wizarding world, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love to have Hermione. Yeah, Hermione. Hermione is on our team for sure. Could have been that database too. <laughs> yeah, lose <laughs> mark every fact. <laughs> Don't take names, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so quick aside for everyone. So, database truth is somebody who uh, you always have this one person in your team who's the facts guy or the facts mm. person. Mm. Uh, so, somebody who knows the funda or can crack the funda, and there's somebody who has facts. Who yeah. would have been the person on the facts? Just one second. Oh, I thought she was okay. Hmm. Who? No, you thought you possessed yeah. by the ghost of Poonam. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so Hamani, I think, would have been the the DBC yeah. in the team. Mm. Uh, and this is this is this is a throwaway line. I wouldn't say a throwaway line. It's but there's a very small line where where Dumbledore, who I think at the time was perfect casting once more, Richard Harris, Oof. who who had the twinkle in his eyes, probably didn't have the movement because he was quite old at the time, and just like you look at him and you feel. Warmth, you feel safe, and he and he encapsulated that aspect of Dumbledore. Like he portrayed that aspect of Dumbledore almost effortless, effortlessly. He was each, each every time he was on screen, he was he had this magnetic presence. But he still is not the best example of of best casting because soon after you see me Dumbledore, you were introduced to Severus Snape, and Alan Rickman, who at the time was very, I mean, he he just come off Die Hard, right, a few years prior. and he was running around and doing a lot of like bad guy roles this was even if you cast it today if you were to recast harry potter today i think you don't do anyone better than alan rickman as snape he gets yeah. he absolutely chooses that character every line is perfectly delivered and and was till the end of uh, the series great introduction professor quirrell next to him also was kind of like eh. um, i think he was probably the only american in there if i'm not mistaken was a quirrell dude yeah um, but everybody else is uh, is very english minerva mcgonagall played by dame maggie smith great casting um robbie coltrane who had come of golden eye great casting uh, and the world is not enough i think around uh, just up just yeah. before this great great casting um I, i keep forgetting the gentleman who plays august filch great casting yeah. um I, yeah I so i don't remember his name yeah. but david something it it'll, it'll come to me uh, later 
but premise of the film don't go near the third floor corridor unless you you want to die uh, these guys accidentally end up somewhere in the third co- third floor corridor meet a 300 dog named fluffy as you do and then decide they, uh, then run away and then realize fluffy is hiding something and curiosity uh, gets the better of them and thus begins this this little adventure that they that they go on in search of something known as the philosopher's stone and threats can't make believe you... we're like explaining the plot to yeah philosophers if some if some if someone here needs us to explain the plot just fuck off <laughs> <laughs> but okay let's let's talk about its depiction so one like great series launch which we've spoken all about it. but in but in chris columbus's hands somebody who is i don't think at this point had handled the franchise so they gave him this movie and chris columbus i mean he done two two home alone movies so hmm. i don't know if yeah. you call that a franchise but yeah i think we have is to talk like, about home alone we, yeah, will, we will we will yeah. i will i will steer hmm. the conversation there but uh, hmm. like you said i think it's a very big ip property to of course yeah. interest somebody with uh, mm-hmm. the harry potter movies and if you don't get it right that's yeah. a huge missed opportunity cost so in that sense he had a lot riding on it's a billion dollar ip like uh, and yeah. i mean this was marvel before marvel i, I would say yeah. because yeah. i mean marvel is i i handed all over to kevin faggy because he built the structure there was a framework to follow here but other adaptations have tried and failed massively and they gave it to chris columbus who i don't think you you'd say was an author director but he was good at what he did and the the thing that he does really well is he he captures sentiment and he captures feeling very well and, and he's great with children he's great yeah like he really does wonders with uh, with child actors so he gets the best performances out of everybody involved i, I would say the best child performance in that entire series is tom Fel- like the first book uh, first movie yeah. is tom felton Tom Felton is Jacob Malfoy you look at him you want to hit him uh, <laughs> and so there's just every like and and that all core comes down to the director and and his uh, direction with how he wants the characters to be portrayed and how getting that across to children who are obviously very receptive and not like sponges uh, at, at that age for information he is and i've taken many years for like for, to come to this conclusion when i watched it i was like oh okay good film fine i, I will keep watching it because it's fun it's nice it's really nice only the older you grow the more appreciation you get for that film because it didn't have a lot of money behind it first ip or mm. like no studio is going to throw 500 million at a project like that maybe yeah. a 100 like a 60 70 million uh, budget it could have had and the cgi the scale of the story is story not is not enough like the, the cgi is now especially very noticeable in in certain mm-hmm. places um like nearly headless snake the ghost in particular look <laughs> like they will reflect casual john, john cleese yeah. by the way yeah, yeah. casual john, john cleese is just around here yeah. he's um one of the greatest thesp- actors of the uh, of british cinema just like there as as a guy who's who had his head almost cut off there's never a dull moment in in the entire in the first film it it goes from point a to point a to point c but very tightly edited very tightly at this character development there's uh, there's there's story there's actual stakes involved yes it's not a world is about to end which uh, there's a beam of light coming in from the sky because like that trope hasn't been done to death yet 
it was very simply there is someone attempting to steal a, a stone that could give them immortality these three kids are trying their best to stop it and i remember this watching this for the first time and, and it scared a lot of children so the forbidden forest section in this book and in the movie mm. is terrifying also like yeah. what school sends three children to go do their detention in uh, the forbidden forest where there are actual creatures that can kill you fucking hardcore dude <laughs> yeah it's like some survival of the fittest sort of hunger games environment they're building yeah exactly <laughs> if, if if you just think about it like they walk in oh the unicorn has been killed tonight a unicorn blood gives you everlasting life someone is and it's very difficult to kill a unicorn and that that's the assignment they had you have to go into the forbidden forest unicorn has died you have to like find out where it is bro you could just give me like i will not be bad i'll write it 100 mm-hmm. times why the fuck are you sending me to a forest i mean uh, they they do do that in uh, a few years later in, where yeah. uh, where she says i must not have it so hardcore spin <laughs> spin but uh, but yeah odd and i remember watching this being absolutely terrified because i'm a 10 year old boss who like who gets scared of everything and yeah. but still it kept me coming back from as as interior as like who is under that creature uh, under that under that hood and eventually when they get also to- la- larger backdrop for this uh, mm-hmm. i just wanted to make this point uh, the book and the movie does a really good job of building up dread or building up the character of voldemort because mm-hmm. i mean when you call somebody he who must not be named Mm. as an impressionable 10 year old i'm just like whoa dude mm. don't even mm. take his name how mm. terrifying is he yeah and so and these things really they, i don't know it really helps like you said character development even voldemort although technic i mean yeah he isn't on screen for pretty much the entire movie but you're terrified of him because of these little things that build it i think I, i think exactly so what really contributes to, uh, to that is a lack of an origin story I mean yes yeah. this is an origin story but at the same time when you know that Harry's parents died defending him against the dark lord and something happened that caused the spell to bounce back and wound the dark lord that that's all you know but everyone talks about Voldemort it's the it's basically a case of uh, you know I would say Chinese whispers but word gets around yeah. a lot and ult- and that's ultimately how like fear is instilled In, in through groups of people like people are like oh he he would do something and that would yeah, uh, the news of that exaggerations would yeah exaggerations that ultimately would um propagate his um like, like his, his supposed greatness and that's that's the one thing cuz even you don't know what he's capable of you just know he's super powerful and there's this one boy who can stop him and maybe a wizard that could stop you have no knowledge of any of the law when you're watching the first film and um when you get to the end you realize he's he's a talking head uh, at the most yeah. and even that is in in a way a bit scary but this then it bring, but the only thing that um can hurt him which i found even then to be quite poignant was the that was was love love was the one thing he was incapable of um like feeling and that's yeah. ultimately the it's, stuff that led us it's very cheesy it's very much a <laughs> yeah what do you call how do you defeat him with love bro with love <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean uh, yeah. i get the message the book said yeah that love is possibly the most is is the most powerful magic that you anyone could possibly i mean that and that kind of doesn't it's not something that you have to have 
uh, is exclusive only to just wizards it yeah. like it, it it transcends boundaries time and not something we have seen play out in play out in the real world but uh, yeah yeah it's not like yeah, but whatever um yeah. i don't know, i i'm still a big what do you call believer of of love because this is the world is just too cynical and yeah and i think that's it. yeah that's that's a discussion for a whole other podcast but yeah so no at the end of the movie where harry's reflection in in the mirror says oh, where is it is in his hmm. yeah how, why how does the stone appear in his pocket i forgotten that part just come just no i think the magic is it gives you what you most desire in the moment right no it give, it shows you what you most desire what you most, it, it most desire manifested into reality which is what dumbledore explicitly makes a point to say it's not mm. the truth but then how does the stone come in his pocket in real life and how does he have it in his hands to defeat voldemort he doesn't use the stone to defeat voldemort he puts his hand on that guy's face no but okay, yeah that's that. that's how does more... he have stone in his pocket where where did it come from i have no see i just know that the reflection takes the stone and puts it in its pocket and that's yeah, when that, think about it that's a bit of bullshit right that's a bit of yeah, narrative it's, bullshit it's a bit of like stone come from stone come from the stone was in the mirror is what you're trying to say no i'm not i'm just asking mm. no i'm not like, i'm trying to wonder where this where the stone was the stone was probably in the mirror or is it like a goddard gryffindor sword sort of thing it presents itself to whoever needs it or deserves it which... i don't think they set it up maybe i have hmm, interesting question maybe our, like our listeners could let us know uh yeah. what what the, the the mythology around acquiring the stone was like he who is of pure heart i'm not quite sure how that that no. worked out mm. think about it. Mm. it it just ended up in his pocket like yeah. reflection said it's there mm. it actually was there I'm like okay cool okay yeah so then harry puts his hands on voldemort burns him to burns him alive and voldemort fucks off because he's yeah, like yeah oh. and then uh, all that build up he who must not be named Yeah, yeah. fucking he put his hand and then on <laughs> and uh, yeah like defeated just defeated by with defeated him with his own bare hands and uh, and then the movie ends on on no one harry heads back and he says i'll be back and we're like yeah this movie is definitely getting a sequel because yeah. one it is really nice too there's there, there are fans who definitely want to keep seeing this in uh, in in theaters and i and what what the movies did is it gave rise to certain fans who just didn't want to read the book they like, like what the movies are doing and there are still people who've seen all eight films but haven't read the books i i don't know what to i mean i get it hmm. not everyone likes reading i i i know what fuck i can't understand <laughs> no like how can you have seen all the movies and not be tempted to i don't know like i can't get into the minds of these people but cool as long as you enjoy the i mean nobody has a monopoly on ip or 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 a story enjoy whatever's put out there well and good good for you i mean okay before we jump into the next the next book in the uh, in in the series let's quickly talk about the the traps that they've set up for um, anyone trying to acquire the stone So first they jump and each trap showcases like one person's skills in yeah. navigate yeah. yeah so the first is is fluffy which they have to play a flute fluffy isn't uh, individual test no it's a test, combined yeah, test the individual, individual one is after they get in 
yeah so the the combined test is them sneaking through and putting him to sleep and by the day, yeah. by the time they get there they've already have a harp that's doing that's been enchanted to do so or something yeah um and then so they end up in devil with with devil snare which devil snare. again devil snare is they deal with it in two separate ways the book they cast a spell and in the movie it's like oh if you relax it will let you go yeah yeah and uh, i kind of like enjoyed the second aspect the, the movie depiction of it where like okay just calm exactly. down you'll you'll get through this just calm down it's um, more a trust the process yeah. because it comes from a place of knowledge that hamoyni has the dbc mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to a spell which i mean anyway a spell is a way out of a lot of things so i like i get by your coming it's like i know this guy trust me chill mm-hmm. and you go through and then so that that's hermione's bit and then harry's bit is the the flying section um yeah and uh, and oh yeah we we haven't even spoken about quidditch in this so the first time we saw quidditch happen i was like what oh, this sport sounds fun and uh, there there are notes at the back of the first book where um um that that chapter has been read out to classes and when harry catches the the snitch the way he does and spits it out uh people jumped up and hugged each other and it was just like a whole like a, like, like a whole mood and <laughs> like i remember being very into quidditch and just looking looking for it in in video games and looking for it in um in any in all other forms of media there there was there was a a book about the history of quidditch also that was released through comic relief yeah, yeah. but okay. we should also talk about um, his audition to be a seeker which i was like at least in the movie i was like bro what the fuck you just saw this guy one lesson he saw like mcgonagall saw him catch something in a fancy way mm-hmm. goes to wood she's like oh i found your seeker mm-hmm. bro like have you ever tried I have tried getting into my school basketball team for years. It's not that easy. <laughs> it really is dude, not. This waltz is in. I was like, dude, two months ago you were living under a fucking cupboard. <laughs> Now you're the youngest seeker in a century. This is not fair. Uh, but but this the the entire Quidditch sequence was again really well done. You can tell the CGI in, in this bit. You can tell where the sun went. Yeah. Very clearly green screen. But. so but so much fun and if you were to ever catch uh, get get the game winning uh, snitch you on your on your debut this i guess was the way to go <laughs> also how dangerous is quidditch to like in the well, yeah, yeah. forbidden forest detention thing what the yeah. f- who is what sort of don't give a fuck parents are sending their kids to schools like these dude <laughs> detention forest game go fly 100 meters in the air like yeah i'm okay with my kids doing that go fly 100 meters in the air and while you're getting chased by a uh, a ball that has a mind of its own yeah mm, so oh, like mm. hardcore bringing dirt wizard yeah, like yeah, either sink or swim <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh, now no i mean could it just say now back to the second task is where it involves a set of flying keys one key is is ultimately what will get you through a door and as soon as you set off on the brooms the keys start to attack you which again is very much like a like an alfred hitchcock's the bird situation yeah. um and again very well told but i think the highlight of this of the entire climax of the sorcerer's stone and even in the books is the chess sequence and as even if i were to read the book the, uh, the sorcerer's stone before having watched it in the movie i don't think it could have been visualized any better it was nail biting to watch and ron having his moment in, in amongst two kids where one is clearly considered to be the the prophesized one the other is just a, a 
and irritating no at no at all um uh, it's like that was his moment to shine and i think he gets possibly the best um task to to overcome yeah in fact they also foreshadow how brutal wizard chess is there's a brief uh, mm-hmm. scene earlier in the film when harry and emma playing the smaller yeah. scale version. around christmas yeah around christmas around, around christmas and they show i think one it has a chair or something it takes chair mm-hmm. and whacks the other piece it's it's a nice bit of foreshadowing mm-hmm. as to as to what happened plays out at, towards the end of the movie yeah but, uh, but yeah, i agree with you very very uh, very uh, what do you say larger than life sort of setting that whole scene has mm-hmm. and in fact like while that's the the purpose the narrative serves him going into that room and facing voldemort feels like a bit of an anti climax after the whole chess whole chess but i don't think we've spoken about possibly the most iconic moment from the entire series the entire film which is the swish and the flick uh, there's a troll mm-hmm. in the dungeon and yeah. this was very much part of once again very much a meme and or like to anybody who you who's read the the first book always goes to like this is the line they usually end up going end up going to it's it's levios uh, not levios not levios honestly <laughs> do you even read isn't <laughs> so, uh, isn't is it this no that's the second one where his wand's broken ron's wand no no that's the this second one, one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. but yes wingardium levios levios aside uh i think great first entry into a franchise um and i think because it did so well and we haven't even spoken about the music which oh john williams my man you were on it i don't know what you were on in the early 2000s because yes attack of the uh, attack of the clones phantom menace is possibly one of the worst star wars films ever made but duel of the fates that came out of it for mm-hmm. which plays in the climax is is top 3 star wars soundtracks of all time so it was john williams was on it the score for yeah, yeah. Score, the score was iconic like i i know two three iconic pieces which like i can recite from memory mm-hmm. even today that's how ingrained it is mm-hmm. so shall we move on to movie 2 yes movie 2 voices have started to crack <laughs> So and you notice this the first thing you notice you notice Daniel Radcliffe's change in voice you notice Rupert Grint's change in voice and Emma Watson not so much i think um Emma Watson like the changes to her voice to her personality uh, start to be a lot more prevalent from uh, uh, from movie 3 yeah but book 2 now <laughs> is quite dark right i think this was possibly it's very much holds that whole sentimental aspect it's very much a a um, um like a family movie but at the same time there is an antagonist in here who is anything but a kid friendly antagonist there are things you expect to be throw away in in the film i think the the boa constrictor scene from uh, from a sorcerer stone Mm. comes back like the relevance of that scene comes back in a big way um in book 2 and in movie 2 harry goes back to school a second year um people end up getting petrified once again talking about hardcore things to like grow up and, and live in people are in dying but they are getting turned yeah. <laughs> immobile 
so and uh, how are they how does madam pomfrey cure them like just mandrake juice again i'm forgetting mandrake juice right that's mm. why uh, professor sprout is important in this one yes. yeah but yeah so students end up get muggle bond students so i think this is this is the the book that addresses the racial aspect or rather the the classist aspect of Yeah. Um, uh, of the wizard i think uh, chamber of secrets is like the nuremberg rally of uh, the harry potter series like you can <laughs> see the start of those racist policies get yeah. some sort of uh, action behind just these ideas now you have mm-hmm. you have an instrument through which you can start targeting these muggle born kids yeah and there's the whole elves aspect about elves being used to serve their masters yeah and that that plays that plays a huge part as well um Yeah, but coming back to coming back to the basilisk, so I didn't expect it to be this size of a dragon. So when I watched it the first time, it absolutely terrified me. And what they do well with well here is in a lot of um, movie studios, or rather, like films, don't do well is that they make use of darkness very well to hide the flaws of uh, the CG at the time. Mm-hmm. So yes, the Chamber <clears throat> of Secrets is very much a practical set. It looks like a practical set. but and yeah. enhanced with the use of cg you have uh, a i think this is this is the year there's a new de- there's a new defense against the dark arts teacher that um in gilderoy lockhart who is yeah. basically presented as um um as this comic character but also has that brana dude like yeah. oh my god kenneth brana <laughs> every time you just read the cast you're just like what <laughs> they are Kenneth Branagh to oh man like casting uh, coup after casting coup it's just wonderfully uh, wonderfully casted and even the guy who plays um um Tom Riddle I I don't know what else he's in but he was very good as Tom Riddle I think yeah, him and yeah. him and him and Morning Myrtle are um very underrated in terms of the, the performances that they're giving in in, in the film chimo secrets i think is very much a, a, a is is a, it's a lot more darker than the first it it sort of acts like a bridge between the first and the third movie because while the mm-hmm. third movie onwards the directors really commit to that darker tone um this movie really shows that there are circum there are uh, what do you say consequences of your actions beyond just what beyond just you mm-hmm. um like in the first movie apart from the three of them and maybe the teachers no one really gets injured or hurt but in the second movie you start seeing there's there's collateral damage there's yeah people like pure, pure mm-hmm. so it it starts making that walk as i would say mm-hmm. so it's still a chris columbus movie it still has its warmth and all of that but mm. there is like yeah. there's like a, there's a hint of darkness here that's been added to it which yeah the third embraces and goes in in straight up horror with especially with the train sequence yeah. but um chamber chamber of secrets a very important book in the entire series if you now that you think about yeah, it yeah yeah very like nobody thought the chamber of secrets would be the book that would hint that uh, the rest of the series would hinge on but it introduces a very uh like a, a um, very important plot element and it's the first time we actually see it um uh, see it introduced which then gets explored elaborated on in um in the in I mean I don't know if she had if she had I don't know yeah. if she had mapped it out at the stage or whether it's some really good retrofitting towards mm-hmm. the end but um, even with that hindsight 
it sort of makes sense when you watch mm-hmm. or read of chamber of secrets so yeah. either way is kudos to jk rowling for pulling mm-hmm. it off it was beautiful like wonderful i don't think she thought that far ahead because I, i remember yeah it uh, must be hard had, you can't do that's like 8 years down the line because she had a lot of trouble with uh, order of the phoenix order of the phoenix had like multiple rewrites because she was finding it difficult taking the books in a particular direction i think with order of the phoenix she planned out she planned out where the books were going from 5 6 7 mm. onwards but getting that jump they were there was quite, they were i think 3 years in between um um goblet of fire and um, yeah and half prints so basically she she mm-hmm. found a narrative difficulty and she solved it you yeah. hear that george r r martin you fucking bitch <laughs> <laughs> so i i think the lead three had notes on from the previous film and these mm. seem to be uh, they either dialed it back a lot or like you can tell that they're now learning as actors on the job and um maybe not much of a as much of a jump in this as it was between movies 3 uh 2 to 3 2 to 3 yeah. you they really bought an actors director is there exactly um, and i know i'm saying this after like especially chris columbus and and the talent he worked on with, within home alone but uh for just generally like like look at the actors in this the creme de la creme of british cinemas in this are in the are in these movies um but premise um the premise the entire execution of uh, of the plot very well told maybe not i don't think financially it did as well as the sorcerer stone and i don't think it scared away a few audiences because it once again is it's not a, it's not a an a happy happy film it's very much a um a, a film with high stakes and death around literally around every corner which seems to be mm. which is why people are using mirrors if you've read the book and if you've seen the movie you know what i'm talking about yeah. um but yeah the basilisk it was also very well realized you can even if you go back and watch it now it really holds up like you could tell this movie had a budget uh, there's there are certain sequences where it, you can tell it's cg but the they switch between a practical head and obviously the the white cg shots that they would use for it to slither mm-hmm. on everywhere and if you're making a film with a creature in it that's that is the way to go this is i mean not an example people people usually refer to but if you look at the best example of this is is jurassic park right in in 93 where where cgi in films was just a uh, small little computer that would uh, would render takes yeah. some 20 days to render a particular scene um you have the t-rex where inside the observatory with john Han- john hammond where uh, it says welcome to jurassic park which is very clearly a cg shot and then you have the sequence outside the paddock uh where they use the animatron uh, mm. t-rex to to get the point across mix in mix in mixing cgi with practical is and if it's done well phenomenal uh, it looks absolutely phenomenal on screen and i think the basket basket is a, is a good example of it true i think um, yeah i agree with with everything you've said um, i really love uh, i don't know how i would put it for me when i was reading the book uh, and having yet yet watched the movie the burning question in my mind was how are they going to show the chamber of secrets and i think they pulled it off uh, in beyond my expectations so mm. full points to them for that 
um yeah i mean i don't have anything more to add you pretty much said whatever i had to say there's not really much as we can say on the films i, I they're yeah. pretty self explanatory as to what kind of movies they are uh they hold a um uh, they're very i mean they're obviously very symbolic of the nostalgia uh film wave that we currently find ourselves in i think these are movies that people will keep going back to for generations on end if i have kids children i assume they will um these are movies that they will definitely be brought up on i assume the same holds for you as well uh, yeah and like like uh, 80s have been the cool thing to revisit in the last few years with stranger mm-hmm. things and stuff i'm guessing in the next decade or so it's going to be the 90s that are going to be revisited and the early noughties yeah. that are going to be revisited and then mm. it's going to be our time when we're going to be like hey we were yeah, there yeah, in the <laughs> a quick so, i mean before we move on to discussing columbus's other work i want to talk about the two great games that came out of um the uh, of these two first films now m- movie time games usually are utter shit and yeah yeah but the first harry potter and the second harry potter games are amazing games like one I played the second one so much the second one on the on the pc is it's 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 open world in hogwarts and i think the yeah, yeah uh, i think order of the phoenix does it probably better because it i think at the time tech was catching up with absolutely uh, um uh, uh, with the world but the first two you can run around hogwarts and just do what you want um obviously there's a linear story that you have to follow you have to go f- to point a to like and even the the port anglia where you have to be yes. just in front of the train get into the tunnel yeah. as a kid i was just like fuck 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 mm. can't die can't die it was, it was a really uh, well made game so it it wasn't they tried to bring in elements of like solving puzzles and stuff like that it wasn't just a cheap money grab that they sort of put out there yeah like you can tell it was made with love and you can tell even the soundtrack for the game is really nice uh yeah. and every i remember because i played this game on two platforms i played it on the pc and i played it on the, uh, on the playstation the playstation game is a reskin of the first uh, at least chamber of secrets is a reskin of the of of, uh, of sorcerer stone but still has so much to do in it uh, mm. sorcerer stone harry says nothing like he just he keeps saying flippendo a lot but <laughs> <laughs> besides that uh, he's mute throughout and i and i spoke about a, a story as to uh, about this on my instagram a few i think a year ago because when we were in the middle of lockdown and um i think place the playstation account tweeted uh a picture of a memory card and said what is your first memory associated with a memory card and when i had my my first playstation i didn't have a memory card with it so i just played put games in it played till uh however long i was allowed to play and then turn it off and redo the whole thing again uh with the saucer oh, store yeah, yeah so <laughs> uh with the saucer store my cousin and i attempted to finish the entire game in one sitting and we got through half of it and my and his sister walked in and put, stepped on the the adapter and the adapter comes out of the socket and the game and the play, playstation turns off and that was the day i decided to i was like you know what i need a memory card <laughs> i thought that was the day you decided to disown that sister <laughs> no 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 she's very very, very close friend but <laughs> we were like no running past the troll in the dungeon and then off goes the, the uh, off yeah. off goes the, the system but yeah um 
those games are something I, I really enjoy. I was looking for Chamber of Secrets the other day on uh, on PC or on the Mac because I was I really wanted to play it, but systems today aren't compatible with what with the engine that game was running on. So maybe mm-hmm. we'll never know. We'll have to find an emulator to do so, I guess. But yeah, let's talk about uh, Columbus's Home Alone. Yeah, I think uh, spend a few minutes on this Columbus's filmography outside of the Harry Potter franchise because mm-hmm. while he might be most famous for those movies, again that is arguable. In fact, no, I don't think it's arguable. He's he's more famous, mm-hmm. I, I would guess, for the Home Alone movies because the Harry Potter is is it's a so juggernaut it's a, it's a huge ip property the whole bunch of names associated home alone is chris columbus's stamp on that series is a lot more uh, prevalent it's it's very much his movie um, again the same the same netflix series that we had aben and i have referenced earlier movies that made us mm. has an episode on home alone as well i, I would recommend all of you to check it out the, this movie also has a major casting coup in the sense that they got fucking joe pesci to to play one of the the two robbers uh who break into the house until this point yeah to break into the house until this point he was known as an out and out serious actor mm-hmm. uh oscar contender known as this he plays these mafia tough guy roles for him to who, to play marv i think yeah, his name is marv mm. uh but um, before we I, before i i get ahead of myself when you want to give a quick uh, rundown of the premise i mean Home Alone essentially yes go for it <laughs> okay if you haven't seen home alone how <laughs> okay yeah. but anyway for if you for those who haven't seen home alone boy gets left behind by his family uh when they're about to go on holiday decides to have a, a fun time and two burglars decide to break into the house forgetting that not realizing there's a boy in there and the boy decides to uh make them pay for breaking into the house yeah in very convoluted rube goldberg ways Yeah. It's a very much a slapstick comedy yeah. but but oh it's so well done. I'm just wondering like the whole concept of it. I'm surprised they made it work twice. In fact, I wouldn't say they made it work twice. The second movie Lost in New York is pretty much a reskin with a different location. Mm. Um this is a sort of I movie mean- which is you can pull it off once it's not believable that somebody can do it twice mm-hmm. and it's not believable that as dumb as rock dumb as the robbers might be nobody's going to fall for this stick twice exactly But, uh, so uh, one obviously there's a there's a lot of suspension of disbelief that you have to do to enjoy the film but mm-hmm. it's a christmas movie it's, it's at the heart of it it's about the christmas spirit it's about how family is important ironically in a movie where a kid gets left behind alone with the rest mm-hmm. of the family having gone elsewhere which in itself is very hard to believe i mean yeah at the least you're going to do a head count nobody flies off to a different continent without knowing whether the entire family is there however but again it, yeah still gives gave rise to the birth of one of the most iconic lines in in movie history we forgot kevin but <laughs> <laughs> uh Yeah, yeah so a lot of suspension of disbelief but it it brings home the spirit of christmas it drives that point home and how you need to give uh, people a chance regardless of how they look on the outside with the whole that terrifying old man guy uh, mm-hmm. who turns out to be a friend 
that that neighbor 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 yeah yeah mm. who who turns out to be a friend so the same trope is i mean i would say you he he uses the same trope with snape as well right because they yeah. introduce they do the same thing with snape in uh, in, in in the sorcerer's stone so there is there is that sense of okay this is happening only this won't happen in real life but once you decide to go along with it it's a very fun ride i think the movie takes what a good 30 40 minutes to set up the the whole set of events that's going to happen subsequently once the whole break in so to speak commences mm-hmm. the next half an hour 40 minutes is just at least the first time you watch it i was like stomach hurting rolling mm-hmm. on the floor as a kid i was like what what is happening and it's just gag after gag it's a lot of physical humor and both the actors i forget the the tall guy's name mm. they've they've pulled off physical physical comedy is not i mean it can look stupid silly and i don't mean stupid silly in the way that makes you laugh it can just look badly done if mm. you know if it doesn't if it's not pulled off well yeah. but in this movie they they do physical comedy really well it it mm. makes you laugh and uh, it doesn't bore you and yeah. there isn't a repetitivity it's not repetitive the gags each of them are different mm-hmm. in their own way mm-hmm. and uh, while they're showing gags the story is also progressing the progressing, getting yeah. closer to him closer to him he involves the neighbor for somehow stuff is happening and then eventually obviously it's a, so it's a family movie so things all mm-hmm. end very well and stuff mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i think the first movie is a really nice microcosm of itself in and of itself where it didn't really need a sequel but then hollywood being hollywood commissioned one and i think columbus at that point or whoever wrote the movie i don't recall who wrote the movie probably would have felt like i whatever had to be said was already said in the first said, yeah. mm-hmm. we can make it again as to do the same thing in a different setting which is why I mean, the second movie yeah. for me is mm. that, that's just, that's the thing with, about sequelitis right we just oh, that, that's a great idea by the way oh, sequelitis sequelitis um but No, I feel like um so is like these are basically one off events for it yeah. to have happened like you for this to have happened twice um I can see why people don't like Home Alone 2 but Home Alone 2 has kind of its own cult following um there is I, it's still very beloved it's obviously not as successful as um as the first one and I wouldn't say not as well received as the first one but but there's there's enough about home alone 2 that uh, people keep gravitating towards because they're like oh that's this reminds them of a time where things were a lot less complicated and tim curry is in the movie and tim curry yeah. uh, brings a lot of humor to the second one so mm-hmm. i think he's that change that big change in the movie so yeah fair enough mm-hmm. uh, just said at this point if you're leaving your kid first time you've left him at home at this mm. second time you've left him in a different city at this point cps has to step in like guys <laughs> you can't what are you doing thing. yeah yeah what <laughs> are you doing also i would probably say uh, top of his game macaulay culkin around 92 yeah yeah, yeah. top of his game macaulay culkin uh, top of his game joe pesci i think he just come off good fellas um good fellas casino mm, so a lot of yeah quality work under his belt and uh, speaking of Macaulay Culkin in that same episode of movies that made us I think they talk about how I, even as a kid uh, Chris Columbus used to before scenes Chris Columbus used to have discussions with him and Macaulay Culkin would give inputs as to how he felt Kevin should react in that situation or mm-hmm. what is if he wanted to tweak a line 
and for a kid to have that sort of insight like when i heard it i was like wow that's amazing i quite uh, macaulay culkin is a big part of my childhood i think yeah. one because um obviously home alone two M- michael jackson because uh, black or white was uh, i remember watching the music video for black or white and i i have no idea why it's again one of those moments that really stick with you danger black or white is on is on the dangerous album and the dangerous album right. came with a laser disc which mm. shows has the music video for for black or white and it's vikal kalkin playing the guitar in his room and which then cuts into uh, the black or white music video and then he was in richie rich he was he is in a movie which i this is the first case of uh, a movie that doesn't uh, look like as it's ad- advertised on the cover uh, a movie called the good son oh which, i haven't seen that which i thought was uh, like a which my dad at the time thought was a family friendly film but it's actually about a, a small kid going around uh, causing accidents and killing people <laughs> so wow okay yeah, and macaulay culkin plays that guy so i you can only imagine this the, the scrutiny he faced in the in the 90s and he, it's not been a, an easy ride for him since i now i think at least in the last few years he's been a lot better he mm. um and his brother is like his family is slowly picking up oh, rory kalkin just going to say kiran kalkin yeah. is killing it on succession yeah kiran kalkin is who i saw for the first time in scott pilgrim is a very minor role in scott pilgrim but um mm. yeah kiran kalkin is now very much the the main kalkin yeah but um yeah any other thoughts you had on the home alone or on the home alone series or you want not particularly it's, it's it it you you mentioned hollywood and it's and the things it does that it has been remade it's called home sweet home alone this year right like it this came out year, last yeah. week last yeah, it came week. out last year yeah oh, very timely out. for us to do this episode i mm. just remembered yeah mm. and apparently it sucks ass it, it's really bad it's apparently atrociously bad so i i think i'm fine i'll i'll much i'd much rather spend my time watching the get back documentary which is wonderful i also feel actually Realized. you mentioned it when i when you sorry i sorry to cut you when you when when you mentioned it the way you did i just realized the other reason home alone also works is it's a product of its time it had mm. the optimism of the 90s it, it yes. has a lot of it's very 90s the feel of the movie is very 90s it's very 90s yeah we are in a post ironic age where i mean we're in fucking pandemic life is mm. shit you got to you come and hit audiences with a remake of a movie with that sort of optimism in today's mm. day and age it's just not going to stick i think people hate reality today more than they did in the 90s exactly yeah so like if you, if i want to if i see like a updated version of home alone and people are on iphones and shit, i just don't i don't want any part of it which is so uh, i know we're like we're digressing but the fear street trilogy does a really nice job of it uh, of showcasing an era like capturing the nostalgia while telling a great story Yeah, and then, yeah. Uh, and I know it comes off the Stranger Things formula, but have you seen it? I've seen the Fear Street trilogy. I loved it. Mm-hmm. It was real. I've really enjoyed. Uh, I mean, what, what it's, not, it's not. Uh, it's not conventional thinking. Yeah, but but it's also uh, yeah exactly. It's not like it's a genre changing moment, but they've taken mm-hmm. conventions have and have they've changed them just enough for it to be refreshing and for you to enjoy it. I, I think and we've we've complained about sequels, but the second. entering in that in that series is possibly yeah. the best yeah. Uh, yeah. which is the friday the 13th rip off yeah. it it has a 
great story and it actually feels it has scares it has genuine scares yeah but um, coming back to this any concluding points on chris columbus he did a movie called pixels back in yeah. 2015 which was an adam sandler film and that bombed really badly but i doubt it's going to uh, would extend any legacy that he's had because for a man who's had home alone mrs doubtfire which uh, oh, we'll get to in the robin williams episode because that might deserve two episodes by itself yeah. uh, and um of the that, dude owns christmas the dude point. yeah yeah chris columbus is the definition of uh, <laughs> of christmas movies yeah like kids and christmas yeah. if you have it's like beats bears battle star galactica it's like kids christmas <laughs> chris columbus <laughs> <laughs> yeah but so if you're planning on watching the potter films for the holidays i hope we've kind of pushed you in that direction because maybe not 3 4 5 6 7 7.2 but the first two definitely um is very much a home for the holidays kind of movie yeah. i i'm definitely going to watch it uh, i am um i i'm pretty sure my christmas is going to be very um, boring but <laughs> at least i'll have some that for company but yeah we don't know what we're doing next week per mm-hmm. usual per we'll usual. figure that out uh, maybe 2 3 days before the recording and and swing it from there but um, mm. you guys have yourself a or maybe we might be off don't know we might be new years it will be i don't know but you guys have yourself a great festival and a great new year yeah we should do what do you want to do new years movies <laughs> i don't want your movies Ugh, what is it this is no. disgusting uh, no we'll see we'll see we'll see okay yeah and that's it from us we'll see you on the next one take care yeah So they opened their big mouths and out came talk talk talk